Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, we are glad you're here and you weathered the storms. It's been kind of unbelievable how they said it was supposed to stop yesterday afternoon. And then on and on, I hope, I hope none, nobody had damage from the storms that we saw a few places that were damaged too. It was quite an evening, uh, night before last. Well, last night, of course, was Halloween. We kind of, we put that behind us. Today is the first day of November. And as Betsy said, we're headed to the holiday season. Um, many of us love the holiday season, and yet we would, be, we would be wrong if we didn't recognize that there are also some struggles in the midst of it too. Almost all of us can feel some degree of increased stress, at least in an area or two of our lives during this kind of season we're coming up on. We can have too high of expectations. We think everything should go a certain way or everybody should think and do a certain thing and we get upset when it doesn't happen that way. We may have to battle weight gain or spending too much money. Uh, we ha- our work lives may get hectic and overblown and not enough rest. Uh, hectic schedules and even more traffic. You know, Bay Area is bad enough, but then when you plop on it 45, construction on 45 and all that's going on there, and then all the Christmas shopping that starts to kind of gear up. I mean, I, I, quite honestly, don't ever ask me for a present that comes from somewhere on the other side of 45, okay? I, there are lots of great places over there. I don't mean that. I mean, just once we get into it, I'm just kind of, I, I don't know if I can handle, you know, that, that, that's a stressor for me. So it, it, anyway, shopping itself is very stressful for guys in particular. In one study, in, instead of going Christmas shopping, 89% of guys would rather watch their favorite sports team lose which we'll have to see if that happens today. Uh, Hopefully not. But uh, 37% of guys would rather bake cookies. So ladies, some of you may want to take advantage of that. Uh, And yet perhaps the area where people feel the most stress is, is in their relationships. There are all kinds of different family traditions trying to work with. What does this family, this side of the family do? What does this side of the family do? Who gets to you this year? Who gets, got you last year? How do we work all that stuff out? There are in-laws, outlaws, just being around family when it's not something that's a part of our regular routine. Johnny Carson, the former host of NBC's The Tonight Show, said, Thanksgiving is an emotional holiday. People travel thousands of miles to be with people they only see once a year, and then discover once a year is way too often. <laughs> ah, that's not true for everyone. I understand that. But some of you when, you, when you chuckled there, it was a little more true than you wanted to admit. And, and virtually all of us, though, experience some degree of stress in our relationships at, at all the time, but especially during holidays. So over the next three weeks, we're looking at Relationship Rx, looking at, at how we can get the most out of our relationships. It's not limited to the holiday season by any stretch of the imagination, but we are going to be thinking about what are the stressors in particular that show up during the holidays. And I'm going to be talking more about the most important ingredient for relationships today. Then in the coming weeks, we'll look at communication and conflict and healthy boundaries and, and, and all that that can mean. We're also offering Coping with the Holidays seminars uh, by our Grief Share Ministry on November 17th and by our Divorce Care Ministry on November 19th. 
So if those are areas that you want to gain more insights, those folks would love to talk with you and and help you through that time. Because our conviction here, our our bedrock belief is that life is best when it's lived the way God created us to live it. In other words, not necessarily what society says, not necessarily even always what we think or feel, but by God's means, God's rules, God's ways is the, is the way that life works best and we experience the most out of life. And the clearest picture of that and the most important ingredient found, in fact, in any relationship, whether it's family or work or an acquaintance, is simply love. Love. The Bible points to this in lots of ways. Uh, The great commandment, though, is perhaps one of the most clear. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, And and to me, it just kind of is a visualization for me. I think of it as love God, the vertical, and love neighbor, the horizontal. And and if you think about it, vertical, horizontal, form of a cross. Um, Saying love, though, can be confusing today in our world because the biblical understanding of love isn't a feeling, which is typical in our culture today. You you watch television, you go to a movie, and love is a feeling. It's It's something we feel, we feel good, whatever. And yet, biblically, it is a decision or a choice Uh, especially the word that gets used when it talks about the love of God and the kind of love God calls those of us who are followers of Christ to live out in our lives. It is a decision, a choice. The Greek word there that gets translated is agape, A-G-A-P-E. And agape love is choosing to accept someone for who they are and then sacrificially working for their good. It's, It's what we would typically call Unconditional love, unconditional love. And this idea of love, if you think about it, it's always expressed as an action. If, if it's simply a feeling, it's something kind of on the inside. But when it's something where I'm consciously working for the good of another, there are going to be actions involved directed outside from myself. It's not about me, what I get out of it. And it is this kind of love that God demonstrated for you and me through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were messed up, before we turned our lives around. God chose to love us in spite of our sins, and he, he, he lives that love to us through action. What does the scripture say? It says he sent, he sent Christ to die for our sins while we were still sinners, Jesus made it clear how, how great and important this action-oriented focus of love is. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Action, something we do. Not something that is simply a feeling. If, if I can't do it in a way that impacts others, that doesn't affect them, that doesn't move into their life, if there's no action then is it truly the kind of love we're talking about here? Paul, the Apostle Paul, gave us one of the clearest pictures of this kind of action-oriented love in 1 Corinthians 13, where he wrote, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. 
It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. I get to read this scripture several times a year in weddings. It's a, it's a scripture a lot of people love. They, they see it as this wonderful, biblical, poetic, beautiful picture of love. And it is, and it should characterize every marriage. But we need to recognize first that Paul didn't write it for marriage, for a wedding setting, or something like that, but rather for how you and I, who are his followers, those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, how we are to live our lives every day, day in, day out. This is not some kind of special love that's just set over here when we have a beautiful wedding and all that kind of stuff. It, it's not some kind of love that we do just when we're around Valentine's Day and we're feeling romantic. In fact, romance is not the point of this at all. And if you think it sounds nice, you've missed the point. Because if you start really paying attention, I, I've said this before, but as soon as I get to the point love is patient i mean right there i know i've got a problem that's not so easy and in fact it is impossible to do what that scripture says consistently day in day out it's impossible to do it with those we love the most and yet the amazing thing is god calls us to do it to everyone not just the nice people around you, not just the family you like. He calls us to live this way all the time. This is a picture of God's love, of his agape love. And the only way we can love like this is with Jesus at the center of our lives and his spirit empowering it. It's the perfect picture of how we are to treat others, everyone, in all of our relationships. And you say, well, I don't, I don't like that person very much. I mean, they're kind of mean to me. You know, I don't feel very loving toward them. And, and especially when they come over to my house and they start, they start nitpicking this and they start telling me all the things that they, their child did that my child hasn't done and all. You go on and on and on. If we get hung up on that, we have again missed the point of agape love. It is a choice. It is a decision. It is action. Precisely because God calls us to live this way to those around us, even when we don't feel like it. See, that's where it gets hard. Even when we don't feel like it. Jesus said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And notice, Jesus talks of loving our enemy as an action. Remember what we're saying? This kind of love is an action. It's something we have to do. It's something, it's a conscious choice of doing something, not how we feel, because quite frankly, especially if they're an enemy, we're not going to feel loving toward them. We're not going to feel like we want to do something good for them. We're not going to feel like we want to 
take it sometimes when they want to give it out to us. It, and and it's, it, it's, if it sounds crazy to you, I mean, I, I, I'm sure it does. If, especially if you're not a follower of Christ, I, I understand this sounds crazy. It sounds crazy to those of us who are followers of Christ. I mean, let's just be honest. Following Christ is not easy. But following him, living as he calls us to live, is what offers us sanity, offers us peace in a crazy world. Jesus offers you and me the power and the ability to love people we don't care much for, who get under our skin, who hurt us, who say things about us, who come to our house maybe during the holidays and, and pick apart every little thing. And he offers us the ability to love even better the ones closest to us. It's not a question of if they deserve it. See, that's what runs through our mind. If I, well, it's easy to love those who deserve it, but why should I? Because God's point is neither do any of us deserve his love. It's not like we can say, look at all the good stuff I've done, God. I haven't sinned at all in my whole life. Can anybody make that claim? Can anybody make that claim so far today? I mean, I can't. But that's God's point. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have damaged our relationship with him. And, and so if it's all about feeling, then God probably would not necessarily feel always very loving toward you and me. But God chooses to love you and me every single moment of our lives. When we're doing great, and even when we're doing pretty lousy. First John says God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He sent. Notice there, there's that action again. There's something God did to live out his love for us, this agape love, God chooses to love in spite of our sins, and he lives that love to us through action. He sent Christ to die for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world, while we were still sinners. Not once I said, okay, I'm going to start going back to church, and I'm going to start doing real good, and then I can understand why God might love me. No, he's saying, while you're out there cursing his name, while you're out there ignorant of him, while you're out there and you don't give a flip, he's saying, I love you, not because it feels good, but because it is my nature, my choice, my decision to love you. So are we gonna be around some folks this holiday season that rub us the wrong way? Are we gonna be around some folks tomorrow at work or in school that rub us the wrong way? or some of them family. That's why we're gonna walk through 1 Corinthians 13 this morning, because it gives us a very practical understanding of, of how to do it God's way by showing us what agape love looks like in everyday life, not just something ethereal up here, but what does it mean day to day in my, in my ongoing actions? So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four. 
Um, or if you use a mobile device, you can pull out the YouVersion Bible app, open it, and go to the live page. If you have neither of those, we have the notes here for you. And on the back side, what we've done is we have listed all of the verses as we will walk through them in this, these four, three and a half verses. And there's a place there if you want to write notes or fill in some more information. So here we begin, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Now, patience here in the, in the Greek language carries a sense of being patient with people. It's not, I'm, I'm, I'm impatient with the rain, or I'm impatient with construction on 45. It's specifically with people. It's on a, a relational level, not a circumstantial level. And the word has a sense here of one who has been wronged and has it easily in their power to avenge the wrong, to get back at them, but instead chooses not to. In fact, this is the word that the Bible often uses to describe God's relationship with you and me. He is patient with us. He is patient with you. He is patient with me. Why? Because we fall short of the glory of God. We do things. We get in the way of what he wants to do. And yet he is patient. It is not, listen to me, it is not a sign of weakness to be patient. In fact, it is a sign of real strength, godly strength to be able to do that. At the same time, for love to be kind means we treat others with respect and compassion because again, God has done that with us. Even while we were sinners, love chooses to be kind. Even when it might seem we have the right the right to be harsh. Going on, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. You know, love chooses not to be jealous or envious of others, particularly their successes. Love isn't trying to lift ourselves up at the expense of others and say, look how good I did with the inference and how good you didn't do. That's not the point here. It's not boastful. Even when that friend or relative brags to you about all the successes they've had or how good their kid did on that test, love doesn't try to one-up the other. Love doesn't try to show off. The word proud here is, has the sense of, of being arrogant, of having an inflated sense of one's own importance. And, and listen, being proud of your spouse or your kids is not wrong. But when that pride is used to raise you up, to raise us up at the expense of another, to make us look better, to increase the distance, if you will, between how we see or how we want others to see ourselves and how we want them to see someone else, that's when pride has gone too far. During the holidays, you're going to probably be around people who want to boast and want to brag, try to make themselves look good, try to make themselves look good to a particular family member or to a boss or something like that. But that kind, of, that kind of love is not the kind of way that followers of Jesus Christ are called to live, to not play that game. That kind of pride typically is a sign of insecurity. Related to all this is love is not rude. It doesn't treat others harshly, abruptly. It doesn't, it doesn't overlook the common graces. You know, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Let me hold the door for you. Let me help you with that tray of food. All those kinds of things. Love does not demand its own way, even when it is within our right to do so. Love doesn't push for rights. 
Demanding our rights, I mean, it doesn't mean we should be pushovers, but at the same time, if we're always concerned about our rights and, and, and what I should get and, and all that kind of stuff, we're going to go around with a chip on our shoulder. We're going to find lots of ways where our rights aren't being considered or aren't being taken into account. Jesus wants to say, so what? Does that change my love for you? If you're treated poorly by someone else? Or do you choose to sink down to their level and play their game? So what if they get their way? Even over and over, as long as you're true to yourself, as long as you do not compromise your values. Love is not irritable. It's not easily angered. We're not living on the edge of our temper all the time. And, and this is a big area for some of you. Some of you, that anger stays right below the surface, you know? It's like a glass of water that's nearly full, and it just takes a few drips of water, and all of a sudden, the water flows out. And, and the Bible says that we're not to be irritable. We're not to allow that stuff to, to constantly get us angry and upset at the slightest issue or the... Or some kind of slight. So what? I, I know when I say so what, it's easier said, believe me. But, but in, a, in a way, that's kind of the attitude you and I need to have. So what if they look down on me? So what if they mistreat me? So what? I can get angry about it. And what does that do? That raises my blood pressure. That gets me going. That makes me lash out at people I do care about. Or I can say, so what? Love keeps no record of being wronged. Guy said, you know, every time my wife and I get into an argument, she gets historical on me. And, and one of his friends said, you mean hysterical? No, she gets historical. She tells me everything I ever did wrong. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's your relationship or not. But it becomes easy sometimes to not just talk about the issue, but start thinking back to what happened yesterday or a week ago or a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago. And keep piling that on so that the issue is not about what's going on. It's about everything that's ever gone on. is lashed into all this and it goes crazy. The Greek word here for keeping record is, is an accounting term. It's used for entering something into a ledger. And, and, and what happens is some of us are very tempted to keep track of every slight, every harm, every hurt that has ever come our way. And we are miserable for that. And it destroys relationships. I'm not saying it's okay for someone to be mean or cruel or abusive. What I'm saying is, if you allow that memory of everything that happens to taint how you go about, it won't just affect one person. It will affect everybody you deal with. This ledger is gonna always be out of balance. Truthfully, both ways, unless we forgive. And that's what God has done for us. Our ledger is not good with God apart from what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross in, in offering us forgiveness of our sins. God could nitpick me, you, everyone if he wanted to. But that's not the choice he makes Love does not rejoice about injustice. And here the sense is that love doesn't take joy when others do wrong that, that could be held against them. There's no room for malice. 
Love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love stands for the truth and, and is glad when it comes out and prevails. It doesn't mean the truth is always easy, but it's always better in the long run. But, but again, the Bible also says that we speak the truth in love. The, the danger here is a lot of times we hear that speak the truth in love and we want to tell somebody, give them a piece of our mind, and we tell them we're doing it in love and we're not doing it in love. We're doing it out of anger. We're doing it out of irritation. We're doing it out of getting even. There's nothing wrong with speaking the truth in love, but we sure better test our reason. If it is because I am trying to get back at them, then we're kidding ourselves. We're, we're the one messing up. Love never gives up. It doesn't give up on others, and, and no matter what they've done. It's willing to endure through the long haul. It doesn't mean everything's acceptable or that, or that love doesn't have to sometimes be tough when we're faced with troublesome or addictive behaviors and others. But it hangs in there because it's not a feeling. It's a choice. Love never loses faith. Love always trusts God, that God will find a way, that God can, is bigger than any circumstance we're in. Love continues to seek and believe the best in others. Love is always hopeful. You know, Jesus believed there was no one beyond hope. None of you in here, and none of the people you know, that some of them you look at and you wonder, is there any hope? He calls us to never lose hope, to never give up on others, because while some things may be impossible for us, we may never fix it or may never be able to work it out. With God, all things are possible. And, the, and our decision is, do we trust him or do we go with what we're feeling right now? God may not always take us out of our troubles. Sometimes we pray, God, just, just get me out of this. Just take it away from me. And a lot of times God doesn't do that, so we get mad at God. But God has a bigger picture in mind. God is not trying to make your life easy, my life easy. That's not his point. He's trying to grow us, transform us. And that is work that has to be done through circumstances. And so many times he will not take us out of a circumstance, but he will take us through them if we trust him. He'll get us through. He'll hold he, and, and, and no matter what happens, he knows that for those of us who trust him, there is always the promise of heaven, of heaven for eternity. Love endures through every circumstance. It endures trials. It endures hardships with the belief that God can redeem any of those circumstances and get us through any situation. We are never hopeless. Love will last forever. No matter what comes our way, Agape love, God's love, endures. It shines forever. It's the, it's the only way to live that has eternal impact on us and on those around us. That's what endures love. You know, maybe what you need to do is take this on the backside, all these statements about love, and choose one a day to work on. How today am I not going to be irritable? Or how today am I going to trust God to be patient and work on them? They won't just accidentally happen because that would be a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision that you and I have to make, to live, to work on. And remember, the Bible is not saying this is easy. It's not. In fact, 
Honestly, this is harder. Loving your enemy, loving some of your family or friends or your boss or your classmates when they're jerks is hard. It's incredibly hard. It's, it, it would be considered unfair in any other realm except in the realm of God. It's the way God created relationships and life to work best for you and for me. Love God, love those around us by choosing to accept them for who they are and sacrificially working for their good. There's that action of doing for the sake of others. To give a God be love to those of us around us, we need to remember this is exactly how God loves you and me. He doesn't, he doesn't treat us as we deserve. He doesn't hold every sin against us forever. He doesn't give up on us when life is going bad or we're making really bad choices. He loves you and there is no clearer picture of that than what Jesus told us to do. And one of those things he told us to do is communion. Communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And so this morning we're gonna celebrate in this service a way to intentionally remember how much God loves us because the more I can remember that, the more it can transform how I then remember to treat others, how I live that out day by day. And that's what it is. This is not something that's long-term that will someday happen. It's something that I have to work at every single day of remembering what Jesus did for me, of suffering my death, taking my punishment for my sins on the cross so that I can be forgiven and freed to love others as he first loved me. Even though I didn't deserve it, I don't deserve it to this day. And so we celebrate communion together as a gift, as a reminder as something that's bigger than ourselves. It's easy to just see it as some bread and some juice and we're just in the line. And if you see it that way, great. That's all it will be. But if instead you understand this to be something Jesus told you and me to do, something that there's a power in remembering and reliving and moving forward, then God can work in it. This is an action. This is an act of love on his part first. But then it becomes an act of love on our part to receive with gratitude what he has done. Not to just come and it's one of the things you do and it's just get in the line and do it. But no, to remember what Jesus did because he loved you and me so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And to get to that point, we need to confess. You know, and sometimes we use the word confess like we're gonna have to dredge up these deep, dark secrets. Here's the thing, confession historically in the church is not about telling God something he doesn't know because if God is omniscient, all-knowing as we believe, he does know. The question is, will you be honest with God? 
will you take that action to speak the truth in your relationship with him? And so we're gonna take a moment to do that. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna pause and give you a chance silently in your mind to talk to God, to share with God. And, and believe me, I know that I'm not gonna give me enough time to say everything I need to say, so I probably won't give most of you enough time, but it's the act of beginning and doing that matters. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, not because we deserve it, because we're so good, but because you are so good. And when I compare myself to you, I see how far I, short I follow the glory of God. And yet you love me, you love us anyway. You made that decision before the beginning of creation to love us in spite of ourselves. And so Father, we, we are sorry for our sins. We're sorry when we hurt the relationship because we know that, that we can't hurt you. But when we hurt the relationship, ultimately we hurt ourselves. So Father, hear now our, our sharing of sins, of things we know we've done wrong. And Father, if we're really brave, help us to even listen to you, to even hear of some things that maybe we haven't been ready to confess yet that we can share just with you this morning. pray this in Jesus name and here's the good news good news I need to hear good news I suspect you need to hear the Bible says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all that is wrong in our lives so in the name of Jesus Christ we can all hear you are forgiven I don't give you that God gives you that through Jesus Christ. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.